Hi, everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. Hagelbon on Twitter, and I'm happy to have with me now for the second time uh, my friend uh, Ian Borsuk. Ian, uh, welcome back to the show. Yeah, Trev, it's uh, great to have uh, be on uh, No Cartridge a second time. Um, you know, uh, this is all according to my devious plan to That's waste right. your time. Just- <laughs> well, I, it's part of my devious plan to make you explain Chell twice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, if if anyone if anyone's listening, they're like, "What the hell are they talking about?" I I we recorded an episode, and I'm the worst guest you've ever had on the show. In that, <laughs> that I made can't you be true. I made you do extra work immediately after having a baby, um, which which well, that makes is, that me is con- that is, you actually do make a good case for being the worst guest on the show. There, yeah. I, I I really like if I can't be the best, I want to be the worst. <laughs> I mean, I get it. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, why not? You know, you have to be, you know, it's people, people talk too much about being the best at things and achieving something, but people remember you if you're the worst. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's like people talk about the room still and Tommy Wiseau has like a whole career based off of that. So I don't know. Yeah. Like he, he went to the, the like Golden Globes. You know, the Golden Globes or he was at something like, I mean, he he goes around like he he does interviews for Vanity Fair and stuff like that can be me. That can be me of video game podcasting. (laughs) I don't think they invite you to as many good things. But, you know, uh, on the other hand, I admire it. (laughs) Um, So so explain shell. People need to know. Yeah. So uh, last time um, Trevor made reference to me being Canadian. Uh, which, which is I am. true, apparently. Yes. Um, and and I and I said, oh yeah, here in Canada, like all all we do is play chell all day because I was trying to make a video game reference. And Trevor, you did not know that chell is a short term, like a short term for uh, playing one of the like EA Sports NHL games. I did not, and actually, uh, as it happens, Julian, my producer, was saying that he also did not know that chell was that slang. 
And and I panicked at first because I was like, oh, no, maybe this is just like a really obscure thing that only me and my friends know about. Um, and then what? I actually found an Urban Dictionary entry from like 2005 referencing it. Okay. So, what? so I mean, this is, is a thing. Yeah, and the great thing is I was also panicking because I was thinking like, is Ian putting one over on me? Is this a joke? <laughs> am I... Am I being pranked right that, now? That classic Canadian humor. Yeah, the, the Canadian humor of, uh, I'm going to come up with this uh, this slang that no one could possibly believe and say it's, you know, real. And this American will believe it, but I'm too polite to ever come clean with the joke. <laughs> yeah, like that. that's the Canadian humor. Like, it, people think we're cruel, but we're actually just, like, we're dying inside from social anxiety. <laughs> Well, now that we've gotten Chell out of the way, I think we should just jump right back in. Today we're going to be talking about um, basically like I, I, I almost said environmental storytelling. That's not what we're talking about exactly. Yeah. We're talking about uh, basically eco-gaming, uh, gaming the, in the ecology and the environment, um, which actually ended up, as I recall from our last talk, being a much uh, more expansive topic than I would have expected. So um, we're starting with a game that has come up way more often in recent uh, no cartridges than I ever would have thought it would, uh, Minecraft. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I've i talked to you about this, uh, like, online a few times, because uh, I'm, I'm a full-time environmentalist. I work for a nonprofit and I uh, focus on climate change issues primarily, like, mostly local issues, um, how they affect me uh, in my city. <laughs> Um, You're one of those, and you you work for a nonprofit that believes climate change is a liberal myth, right? Yeah, I I um I I truly believe that the Chinese and the commie libs are working together to sink our economy, and I'm really glad that here in Ontario we've elected Doug Ford, um, who is owning the libs by getting sued by Tesla now. That's like breaking news here in Ontario. <laughs> Wait. Tesla is suing someone as opposed to the other way around? No, no, no. So Tesla is suing my government, like my provincial government, because uh, Doug Ford, who's our premier, uh, you know, uh, Ford Nation, who who American listeners would probably know as the brother of Rob Ford, the crack-smoking Toronto mayor. um, It's great that he was caught on camera smoking crack and then died of uh, heart problems from smoking crack, and his brother still got arrested. It was actually an incredibly rare cancer that killed him. I um, thought it was crack related. We, we learn all sorts of bad things in America. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, he's dead, and then Doug Ford got elected uh, with the uh, like the Conservative Party, and then he uh, we had like a rebate program for electric vehicles um, to help, like you know, kind of upper middle class people uh, afford electric vehicles because they are very expensive. And, well, and uh, the upper middle class people are the most important people. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, like our previous government, that's all they cared about, um, like the, the liberal government. And this, this is where cons- like American listeners are going to get really concern- uh, confused, um, is that we name our parties very confusingly. But basically, Doug Ford came in. He was like, no, like we're, we're canceling this. Uh, no one gets rebates on their electric vehicles because that's, you know, like communism. Um, and Tesla's <laughs> suing us now. Um it's and amazing so, when a market a market incentive is considered communism. It's it, I like I like our new world. That's crazy. Yeah, and so basically now I don't know who I'm rooting for. Like, am I rooting for my shitty uh, government, or am I rooting for Elon Musk to take my money as like a taxpayer? Like, I have no idea. It's yeah, he's gonna. I mean, he's gonna completely rob you blind. It's a real Sophie's choice. 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's sort of a Sophie's choice. It's not a Sophie's choice insofar as um, there is one option that directly benefits you. Yeah. And, and that's Elon Musk owning me, right? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Because he needs to get more money and we need to support him as a genius. Yeah. Um, there, was but, that one, there was that one tweet about Musk where it was like, oh, what was it? It was like, uh, you know, these people are rare. You need to you need to cultivate geniuses like Musk because if you don't, then they'll like become evil, and then <laughs> it's like awesome. This is good. Like it's good that everything we know in the world is just like a Batman comic now. Yeah. So basically, like coming back to Minecraft. Um, so like in my day to day life, um, I, I play video games, but I also I think about climate change on like an unhealthy amount. Um, more, more so than like a regular person who has a healthy concern about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and something that occurred to me is that I like, I mean, we're going to go beyond this in terms of, uh, storytelling and things like that. But when you think about what a game could be in terms of being a pure environmentalist game or like the most environmentalist game, I don't want to say it's like a pure environmentalist game, um, is Minecraft, um, in that. It's kind of the only game that's out there, really, uh, where you start off with a you know a priest, pristine uh, wilderness. Uh, you do have like uh, you know environmental uh, diversity, like you have different biomes and stuff, and you know that's not what makes it environmentalist. That's what makes it ambient, I would argue. Um, but what makes it kind of an environmentalist game is that you can. Like, the game is set up where you can, like, build bases and pave over a jungle and, you know, domesticate leopards, I think it is, um, and, and stuff like that. <laughs> well, there's the bee biomes, right? Like, yeah. That's another big thing. And, and, so, and so, like, the game is, like, ostensibly set up, especially in creative mode, of, like, you just build whatever. But, I mean, in survival mode, you don't have to do that. Like, you can live a sustainable life um, within the game. And it's it's sort of a choice um, within that game of do you want to, you know, literally destroy a mountain for its resources or are you okay with just having, like, a small hut? Hmm. Um, and, you know, when you think about the types of games that are out there and when I started playing video games originally, like, I was a big Warcraft 3 fan. And something that has always stuck with me is, like, in Warcraft 3, the, the Night Elves... Um, when you're playing them, they're one of the four races. Like, their kind of gimmick is that they're the elves and they, you know, are in tune with nature and stuff. And their wood-gathering unit doesn't destroy the trees. And, you know, when you're thinking about mechanics of how they show, uh, you know, ecology or ecological uh, principles, um, Minecraft is sort of the one that takes it to an extreme in that you have the choice. They're not really making a moral argument. Like, there is no moral argument in Minecraft, I would say. Um, but no, it's completely I mean, left it's a, up it's a to the player. Game. Yeah. There can't be a moral. Yeah. And so that's kind of where this this conversation between you and me started, uh, I want to say, like, months and months ago. Um, <laughs> it really, it was only, I think it was only one month ago, believe it or not. Yeah, and, well, I mean, like, it's been a while. Well, I've been thinking about this for a while. And when you think about Minecraft, like, really, like, this is a game where it, because of the freedom it gives you and because of just, like, the sheer... Uh, destruction you can bring upon the world around you. Um, it feels very realistic from an environmentalist perspective. Okay. Um, now that now that is to be said, like and I mean, like maybe for all I know, there's a mod out there that 
lets you uh, like attribute like particulate air pollution to whenever you use a smelter or whatever, and you know that slowly degrades your health or something. I would believe one hundred percent that that mod exists. Yeah, I mean, I mean Minecraft on, monitors are insane. Yeah, based um, on the Sky Factory mods, like I can't, I can't imagine there being something that doesn't exist. Like, there's got to be a Minecraft modder out there who is like, I want to take this one step further, where my actions have a somewhat indirect impact on my health. Um, and I think that like that would be the extra step the game could take to be even more environmentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, like I think adequately, you could say envir- like Minecraft is sort of uh, like a the most environmentalist game, I would say. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's interesting the way you're saying that, because, of course, like environmentalism, particularly in the era of global warming, you know, it, it sort of is like taking the Rachel Carson Silent Spring ideas to the next step where it's not just like, yeah, look, like if we're not mindful, we'll set all our rivers on fire. It's like, yeah, there's actually stuff that you can't see happening. You're just going to take my word for it. It's real, real bad. Um, And it has to do with all these interconnected things. And so, like, yeah, I can see that. Like, if a game has sort of an interconnected environmental mechanic... Um, like Minecraft does, and, and in fact, that's the only thing Minecraft is, is an interconnected environmental mechanic, then, yeah, I mean, that is environmental in, in the extreme. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting, like, you raised Rachel Carson in that, you know, like, with the work that she did, um, where I, I have books, like, I, I'm I'm a leftist, and, you know, I, I go as far to say, like, I'm, a, I'm an actual socialist, or... Uh, an eco-socialist if I if I want to make like other people feel weird around me um, at leftist events is just that like, just like just just uh, just staring at them and be like have you yeah. thought about deep environmentalism yet <laughs> yeah like have you have you thought about climate change really in in the past week um, is that you know like there there was a period of time where c- conservationism and uh, uh, environmentalism wasn't necessarily uh, a leftist project. Um, right, and, sure. and I want to say it, it doesn't have to be still. Um, I'm, I mean, we're rapidly move, approaching a point where I don't think, uh, you know, I mean, from a neoliberal perspective, I mean, neoliberalism is, is bad for the environment. But, <laughs> yes. you know, you don't you don't have to be. Oh, yeah. Like full full communism is the only thing that stops uh, climate change. I, at right now, I would say um, we're in my in my view, we're kind of moving towards a direction where. If we don't act, uh, the solution needs to be even more severe. And if the solution is like a really planned economy, then that might be what needs to happen. Um, but I mean, at the time, right? Are, are you Rachel, saying that? Are you saying that climate change is dialectics? Yeah, I mean, sort of, like a little bit. It's, it's, it's. I mean, like not completely. This is, this is a this is a bold position for a scientist to take. <laughs> I, I'm not a scientist. I'm just I'm a lobbyist. Like I'm an advocate, right? Like oh, I, okay. Well, that's less bold. That, yeah, yeah. Hegel's I, I, I Hegel's can sort I can, of a lobbyist. Rhetoric is 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 all I have, really. Um, <laughs> but I mean, when you think back on Rachel Carson, like when she first came out, this wasn't like oh, Rachel Carson is socialism. Um, and in a lot of ways, we've moved into a realm where even back in the 1980s, people were saying like, oh, like I have a book. Um, I can't re- I should have looked it up before we had this recording where it's this right wing guy. And he's basically written an entire book. And it's from the 1980s about how like the commies have stolen conservationism from uh, conservatives. OK. 
And he was, he's just livid about it. And it's a great book in terms of he really kind of just hammers out like why uh, the left was able to uh, more adequately uh, make cases of conservationism. And he, you know, uh, to his credit, to this like nameless author that I could just be misre- misrepresenting, but like to be fair to him, he does raise the point that, you know, the right became a little too associated with free market, you know, like it, it became less associated with like libertarian values of we need to preserve the environment. So that way future generations have the same freedoms we have. Yeah. And it just became, okay, no, the market reigns over everything. And right. I we, mean, you, you look at that as like the, the kind of classic moment neoliberalism where you sort of have everyone shift over to a Chicago school kind of way of thinking. Yeah. And all, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, well, if the market decides, you know, if, if everyone agrees that we need to stop climate change well that's a market solution yeah and and so really like what we've seen and i and i think like anyone listening to this would agree because i mean I, I i think i have a pretty good understanding of who your audience is yeah they're not um, it's not a lot of conservatives no <laughs> um but i think like most people would agree that like you know if, if you look at the the political entities that are uh, most adequately addressing climate change with a few exceptions but not really it is uh, the left um especially in north america i would say i mean in uh europe and the uk it's maybe not so much and we are going to probably get into that a little bit more in detail a little bit later um talking about the next game i want to talk about but Really, when you look at environmentalism, it's a leftist project, at least in North America, for sure. Um, And it's kind of interesting to see uh, how denialism has really taken hold of especially the American right Um, Mm -hmm. in terms of like, it's not even just, oh, this isn't something we have to worry about or the market will fix it. It's just literally like this isn't happening. It's a it's a Chinese it's a Chinese hoax. Right. And, and you know, what's what's surprising to me is how little I, I think I brought this up last time we talked, but like there's so many unbelievable things, of course, that that Trump has said since he has taken uh, the office of president. But the one where he said, oh, it's a Chinese hoax that uh, that you know, that climate change is happening. I was surprised that didn't get as much pushback. Right. Like there's a million like I feel like um, him saying Omarosa is a dog is getting more pushback than him saying, yeah, climate change is a hoax perpetrated by the the vicious Chinese. Yeah. Like it's it's bizarre. It sounds like it sounds like a Twitter joke. Like it's it, you couldn't write it, right? Like and that's so much of his presidency, of course, this has been hashed over forever. Oh yeah. But like and like it's you know, it's not an interesting point anymore, but like it's beyond parody. But that's kind of one of those things where it was so beyond parody that like it was almost already beyond parody. Like, everyone was like, yeah, okay, that's what the conservatives believe. Like, that's just, yeah, acceptable that one party in America thinks that this is a hoax perpetrated by, like, shifty foreigners. Yeah, and and, and it's and it's a hoax per pe- uh, pepper uh, brought forward and, you know, uh, given to the U.S. left to push because it will sink the U.S. economy if they follow through on it. Um, much like how, I mean, well, it's the same thing with single payer. Like you can't address uh, single payer healthcare because it'll sink the economy. Uh, right. Just like how, you know, we can't adequately really address climate change because it'll sink the economy. And I mean, in a lot of ways, yeah, it, it will sink the economy if we yeah, adequately absolutely. address and climate change. Kind of have to do it though. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of the things like it's, it, I think you're absolutely right in noticing that the economy is, is predicated as this sort of thing where it's not 
an aspect of life. It is like truly like the undercurrent of life. Like I think libertarians and and most people on the right believe that the market kind of serves as lifeblood. Um, and you can just look at someone like Ben Shapiro talking about um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, where he'll say, like, yeah, like, what do you want? This place to look like Venezuela? And, like, the the <laughs> logic there is, of course, right. I mean, the logic, of course, yeah. is if you take away the market, you unplug a sort of, like, obvious input into the world, into our society, and there's only one way that that can go. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. Like, here in Canada, we we talked about this before, you and me, where uh, our, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, he, he was elected with this entire saying of, like, the environment and the economy go hand in hand. You know, a strong, healthy, sustainable environment um, leads to a strong, healthy, sustainable economy and vice versa. Um, and since taking office, uh, you know, like three years ago, we, we like, as a Canadian citizen, I partly own a, a pipeline or I'm, I've purchased a pipeline that has yet to be built. Congratulations. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pipeline uh, investor now. I'm a stockholder in the Trans Mountain uh, uh, pipeline. Um, that's like $5 billion or something like that. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, like, in the States, it's sort of like, no, we, we can't address environmentalism because that's a hoax and that'll sink the economy. While here in Canada, it's, oh, no, no, yeah, it's all good. We just need a strong economy so we can address climate change at some point in the future. <laughs> um, well, I mean, if you, if, you, if you think about it, he kept his promise, like, the environment and the economy go hand in hand. He never said if it was going to be the environment is good. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's, you know, I it's, mean, it's just that, bad that is That is fair. Uh, and, I mean... I didn't vote for Justin Trudeau. I'm I'm a supporter of our you know our smaller third uh, party that's more like social democrat. Um, but you know Justin Trudeau, uh, I think I don't want to say fooled a lot of people, but you know he lied <laughs> to a lot of people. <laughs> but it's interesting because I mean last time we were talking, um, and it's a game that. I think maybe some people would be surprised we're going to talk about in regards to climate change, or maybe they're not if they've played the game, um, is uh, actually Call of Duty Black Ops 3. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because in, in regards to, like, Trump supporters and kind of the alt-right, um, you know, the Chinese hoax thing hasn't really picked up as something that they repeat like you don't you don't ever see on 4chan or you never have some guy who's like you know uh yelling about commies on the on twitter talking about climate change being a hoax because like i i would say anyone who supports donald trump and is under the age of 35 or 40 like they probably know climate change is real yeah sure and well, yeah, it's, it's 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 less about like i think if you if you support donald trump from a 4chan perspective or from a Gab.io, well, maybe not Gab, but definitely 4chan, like, you you support him and his stances on climate change because you know it's going to hurt people that you don't like yeah. before it hurts you. And, and interestingly enough, like, Black Ops 3 is sort of one of those games where I don't, I mean, I don't know if, I, I don't want to uh, attribute to the developers that they're jingoistic, Um and the more I think about this, like, everyone says the Call of Duty series is very jingoistic, and it is. Like, it's it's very much like, we are a country, and there are bad foreigners who want to hurt us because, uh, you know, we've hurt them. But we're still America, so we have to do, we have to do all the killing. Um, 
But Black Ops 3 is interesting in that it's set in, like, 2075 or something like that. Like, you know, the distant future where there's robots that, you know, mutilate people and stuff like that. Sure. And, but, like, they they explicitly say, oh, yeah, like, climate change has ravaged the planet. And, you know, places like Singapore are just, like, unlivable. And, of course, like, as the, uh, you know, Call of Duty nameless soldier or whatever the main character's name is, I, I got no clue. Um, he, like, he goes to Singapore to kill people. Um, and, like... <laughs> the game had, like, mechanics where you're, like, wading through flooded water in, like, the city streets of Singapore and stuff. And it's just sort of interesting to think about how this game that came out a few years ago, you know, realistically, or, you know, kind of in a a pessimistic way, kind of just showed, yeah, like, this is kind of where we're going. We're kind of going in a direction where resources are going to become scarce, war is probably not going to end anytime soon, um, and the the global south is going to become even more desperate because of climate change. And, like, they say that explicitly yeah. in the game, is that, you know, climate change has done irreparable damage, much like the U.S. has. And, like, wouldn't you know it, the U.S. is largely responsible for climate change globally. Um, and the game, it kind of just explicitly just says, like, yeah, like, this is a, you know, a dystopian, but a realistic depiction of our future. Interesting. And I don't think people give... I, I don't want to, like, really, like, sing the praises of Black Ops 3 too, too much. No, no, um, do it. <laughs> but, I mean, in terms of a game where, when you think about media that has come out about climate change, and, like, this is why I think it's interesting to talk about video games in regards to climate change and ecology and environmentalism, is that we have, you know, popular fiction and popular movies and, you know, like some music, but it's mostly literature and movies about climate change. And... Every time a move, like a large blockbuster about climate change comes out, everyone talks about, you know, there's always think pieces about, like, is this realistic climate change? Is this... Oh, yeah, that's all anyone wants to know about. Is this yeah. what's going to happen? Is this what's going to happen? You know, ever since, like, the, the day after tomorrow, like, every movie that comes out that de- depicts it, there's always, like, a think piece about, like, oh, is, is Elysium real? You know, like, are, mm-hmm. it, right. will people be able to survive on the planet or whatever? And interestingly enough, like, I don't really... I mean, like, I mean, this is my bias in terms of, like, what media I consume outside of, like, video games and stuff like that. But, like, I don't really recall a whole lot of discussion about the the depiction of climate change in Black Ops 3. And I'm almost inclined to say it's that way because the people who play Black Ops 3, they just kind of know and accept that climate change is a reality. And I don't, you know, like, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people are probably bothered by that. But in terms of you know, the alt-right, and not to say Black Ops is, like, a alt-right game, but I think in terms of, like, the gaming population and how there are a lot of very conservative gamers. Um, sure. You know, the, it's not it's not a controversial thing to have in your game climate change. And it's not a controversial thing to be like, oh, hey, yeah, climate change is going to affect geo geopolitics in the next 50 years. Like, that's just sort of accepted. And... Interestingly enough, you know, like this is something that I hadn't really given a lot of thought of before you and me started talking about, you know, video games and environmentalism. But uh, there was actually a really good piece in Jew- uh, JewishCurrents.org by Casey Williams just like a couple days ago. And it's titled, What Happens When the Alt-Right Believes in Climate Change? Ooh, interesting. And it's one of those things, too, where like I think... 
you know, the alt-right, I, 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 would, I would hazard a guess that the alt-right, or at least the savvier members of the alt-right, are, you know, probably younger. You know, they're probably closer to our age, as opposed to the people who you typically see at a Trump rally. Um, and, you know, in this Jewish Currents piece, like, it's sort of like, yeah, like, you have a white supremacist be like, well, yeah, like, cl- if climate change is real, then w- how do we prevent all these blacks and Hispanics from coming to America? And, you know, what's the answer to that? Well, it's like interventionist wars and a wall, right? <laughs> like, Yeah, exactly. No, and it, it, it totally, it just adds up because like, and obviously not, not in a real way. I'm not saying that it's true, but it, it's true to them where you say like, yeah, look, the, the, the way that, the way that this all works is that the countries that are, you know, like, you know, as, as Trump says, like shithole countries they're just going to get worse under climate change um, if we keep up the the consistent like economics that we have now, the economic systems we have now. They're going to get worse under climate change. Um, not that they're shitholes now, but like they will get worse. Uh, you know, Caribbean, Global South, um, will or be even just Syria. Dis- like there was massive yeah. drought in Syria, which Absolutely. led to a Does Syria huge- count as the Global South. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if like it would, but I mean, if you look yeah, at Syria sort of like attack, yeah. and you and you look at the the shit that's going on in Syria, like for the past several years, is they had a major drought. They had a huge amount of population move from the rural lands to the the cities, like Damascus and stuff, because yeah. you, you know, like they had to find work, they had to find sustenance, and that created more you know, social conflict. And I don't want to say you know it was the drought that caused the civil war in Syria, but it certainly contributed to it. Right. And like the I think like the what you'd say is if the alt-right believes in climate change, they're going to look at the places they don't like the the people they don't like and realize like, hey, actually, um, we can we can work to make social policies that mean that the white race survives this. Yeah. And, Which you is know, terrifying. Yeah. Like when you think about the left thinking about climate change, it's like, oh, wow, we have to solve climate change so that way we don't all die. Um. But if you think about climate change from the perspective of someone who's a literal white supremacist, um, it, it is from a perspective of like, huh, like we kind of have an advantage right now. Um, right. If I'm a white supremacist and I live in the U.S., like especially if I live like kind of like northeastern U.S. where, you know, ideally like where you live and where I live, like we are kind of better off than most other people in the world. Um you know, we're going to be thinking about, okay, how can I preserve this for me? Not necessarily, how can I make sure that everything doesn't go to shit? Yeah. No, and I mean, it, it, that's, that's exactly what, I mean, at, at their best, the Call of Duty games do that, where it's sort of like the, the shift between individual and nation is, um, narrowed in not the normal way that like, oh, you know, um, the individual fights for their nation and so it becomes like a a particular in the general and that kind of like heroic dialectic it like it, it messes it up in a way where you're just like oh god like this sort of national interest and my individual selfishness uh correspond here and uh you know it totally lines up with what black ops 3 was probably trying to do like it's it's a it's a troubling game yeah and it's interesting too because um Another game that kind of did, a, did something similar, which I haven't played, but you were telling me about, is is Spec Ops: The Line. Mm-hmm. That yeah. that did get some more interest in terms of the the morality of the game, and 
you know, I think maybe because Spec Ops The Line was probably trying to make a bit more of an explicit message with it. Um, you know, from like from what I understand about the game, and you know, I, I I've had some spoilers about the game myself. In that, <laughs> you know, P- the, oh, no. <laughs> Spec Ops The Line has has a bit more of like a, a conscious moral uh, message in it. Well, Black Ops Three just seems to be a very blunt depiction of like, yeah, like if you if you were you know a, a all American cyborg hero, uh, this is what your life would be like in twenty seventy five when you're you know killing people in Singapore who uh, you know just hate America because America flooded their country due to climate change. Yeah, I think like the the interesting thing there is giving giving that motive, right? I mean, that's what Spec Ops does as well, where, like, the the things you do as a character are unforgivable and, and awful, just like in any of these games, but you don't have the... I'm trying to think of a good example of this. I mean, even take, take like, the the early Nintendo versions of this, like, Contra or something, right? Yeah. The stuff you do in Contra is also all war crimes, but it's, you know, an alien invasion is happening and you have to kill the aliens. Or, like, in Metal Slug, like, they, they always explain the sort of, like, massive violence you're doing by saying, like, oh, actually, um, it's not just the Saddam Hussein stand-in, it's also aliens, right? Like, there's a there's a moral gloss there where you're like, actually, we had to do this or else everyone would die. In this case, it's like, you, yeah, these people have a totally viable reason for not liking you. Like, you wouldn't like you in their in their shoes. Yeah. yeah, and yet there's this this acknowledgement of like, well, no, but I I am American and I am who I am, and that's why I need to uh, like shoot this guy and like I'm ba- I'm barely remembering the game really, <laughs> um, except for like a few key moments. But like I do remember like the moment where you're like, yeah, like I you know there's robots that I need to command to like just tear people apart. Um, and, you know, it's all for the purpose of stopping, uh, like, a charismatic world leader who was able to convince the Global South that, like, hey, actually, America's not a good thing. <laughs> How dare he? How dare he? <laughs> he needs to be stopped. And um, so... Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very strange. Yeah, and it's just interesting, too, because in, in the realm of video games, and, you know, I think at the same time, like, I, I, I totally recognize I'm a guest on a video game podcast... You know, I, at a certain level, I do feel kind of silly talking about this, like, you know, a serious discussion about uh, environmentalism in video games and, you know, really reflecting on, you know, what, what is, what are the messages of Minecraft and Black Ops 3 when it comes to, you know, one of the most pressing uh, issues of our time. But at the same time, like, I think, you know, video games aren't a very serious art form um, that can be taken very seriously. And I think in terms of political and social commentary video games are really coming into their own right now and it's just we're not quite there yet for the environmentalism and i want to say that that's sort of following lock and step what happened with film what happened with with books in that we you know we don't have a lot of really good books about climate change in terms of fiction um you know there's a lot of really good non-fiction books on climate change um but in terms of movies as well, like I, you know, that's a, it's been a slow burn, and now it seems like you know every year uh, there's another movie that comes out that mentions climate change or talks about it. Like you know the Marvel movies where they're like, yeah, yeah, climate change. Uh, Tony Stark fixed that, <laughs> or 
you know, it's something that you you consistently can't ignore. And video games are kind of one of those interesting things where there there has been some stuff there and and like you know and like black ops 3 like who would have thunk that black ops 3 had probably a more bleak and realistic depiction of american impact on geopolitics in relation to climate change than you know like most movies i would say or even most fictional books that try to portray similar themes well, I mean, there's an argument, there's an aesthetic argument that says, um, you know, genre fiction, which, I mean, Black Ops is, is certainly that in, oh, yeah. in, in the world of video games, in that the idea of a, a military shooter or a third person, first person, whatever you want, a uh, military shooter is, uh, you know, there's a standard plot, and, you know, there's even standard levels, you know, you, one level's going to be on rails, one level's probably going to be in a water, like some sort of sewer or water level, uh, there's going to be some sort of, like, you know, new uh, gun you have. There's going to be a the snow a level. level. There's a, yeah, the, snow the level. Absolutely level. necessary snow level. Yeah, <laughs> that everyone hates. Yeah. Um, stealth level, the level where there's just a ton of enemies and you have to gun them down. Like, th- th- this is like fairly standard. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm ripping this argument off from my advisor, Nicholas Brown, but who's at uh, UIC. But the, um, you know, his, his article, uh, which you can find online at, if you just Google, uh, Actually, if you just Google uh, Nicholas Brown, uh, The Work of Art, uh, the article's called The Work of Art in the Age of Its Reproduction Under Capital. Or, I'm sorry, in the Age of Its uh, Real Subsumption Under Capital. Uh, so it's a little hard to remember. Good thing I can go back and listen to this recording after. So <laughs> There you go. Um, no one else can, though. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the um, you know his point is if you take genre fiction, it actually sort of serves as a wonderful way to critique uh, capitalism because you know as Adorno says and as a million other people say too that aren't Adorno, um, it's really hard to critique capitalism because capitalism is all encompassing. Um, but what Adorno notices in his, in his aesthetic theory, um, this is something that I have made much of in my own academic career. Um, the moment where you sort of are brought out of the totality of a piece, right, is like he uses a symphony for this and he says, yeah, you know, you're listening to a symphony and then you think about your dishes or you think about like, oh, what, you know, what are these people paying for their rent or whatever if it's an opera? And that's when capitalism breaks it, right? It breaks the totality. But that break is important because it gives you a sense of like, oh, you know, I just noticed this totality that's around me all the time and I never think about. Yeah. Um, and so for, for Brown, like, the point is, yeah, you know, you take, like, a spy thriller, and the spy thriller just goes the way you expect it to, but a sort of conscious author can then toss in a little bomb at some point that makes you go, oh, wait, that's weird. That makes me think about my own situation, because you're you're so focused on the genre that any deviation from it is, um, is going to make you kind of, like, sit up and take notice. And I think Black Ops 3, like, it's an important example, because, like... Yeah, it's trivial, but it's clearly a genre example. It's clearly touching a lot of people, and it's clearly referencing specifically something that I think a lot of media is still afraid to sort of, like, put a put a name to. Yeah. And interesting, like, I'm curious, because uh, I, I want to say, like, when I, when I first talked to you about this, and it feels like this was months ago, um, <laughs> when I was like, Trev, like, do you know of any games that have 
environmentalist themes. And I was just sort of just thinking this like as a cursory, you know, top-down thing. You you brought up Firewatch and the mm. themes in Firewatch. And, you know, interestingly, like, I'm still... I, I don't know, like, I don't want to say, like, they it, they're, the themes aren't there. Because um, they certainly are. Um, but I almost want to say it's not satisfactory to me. In terms, I can see that. In terms of the message that Firewatch has about you know, man's relation to the environment. It, it almost feels not as satisfactory to me as uh, Black Ops 3 in terms in terms of, uh, you know, the the in terms of climate change specifically. Um, now, I'll warn you, um, the the I think the main uh, producer of Firewatch uh, follows me on Twitter. I don't think he listens to this podcast, but if he does, you could be in big time trouble. Oh, okay, so, okay. So I mean, okay, I do need to say I liked Firewatch a lot. Uh, <laughs> I played through it twice, um, but it's sort of in in Firewatch, and like this is I don't I don't want to say like this is like a critique of Firewatch, but it's like an environmentalist critique of Firewatch, maybe. In that, there's no real. Uh, comprehension of in terms of man's relation to the environment in terms of uh, an effect that happens right mm-hmm. um, and there, there's no real consequence from one's actions that is the same as uh, addressing something like climate change um, and now I might be forgetting something very key in the plot right now, and I'm going to sound like a total fool, maybe. And then you know, I got an angry game developer in my DMs. No, no, I, I, he he's, he seems cool. <laughs> I don't think he'll be mad at you. But like, but you I, know, you know, what? that was one of those games where people said, "Oh yeah, this is you know, this is a beautiful game with like strong environmentalist themes to it." And as someone who, you know, like I I I, I think about environmentalism on a regular basis, and I am always addressed with that problem of okay do we address uh, systemic issues or do we address like you know personal choice and you know yeah. should we convince people to take the bus or should we uh you know jack up the prices of gas so people take the bus because it's just more feasible like those are the questions i'm thinking of and yeah i think like oh, oh sorry no 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 yeah and like and in firewatch it's sort of on that other realm of it, it's very atmospheric Mm-hmm. Um, which I think, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say games haven't had before, but like a, the atmosphere game, um, and I'm remembering an article I read, and I want to say it was Motherboard, where someone wrote about like the atmosphere games, in that I want to say, you know, f- from a like an environmentalist uh, perspective, for like as like the ecology project, like if you want to think about the leftist project, like, in, uh, you know, ambient games that have really good aesthetics, like, I would say they're good for environmentalism in that it, you know, kind of helps people reflect on, okay, yeah, like, wilderness can be beautiful. Um, But there's not really a strong underlying message in Firewatch about climate change or about the effect on the environment. Not to say that there should be, you know, it's a very compelling story, and that's uh, my, you know, my, my shield there for my critique of Firewatch. (laughs) Um, but you know, it's just interesting to me that when Firewatch came out, like, you know, it was the first thought that came, it was the first game that came to your head, right? When I asked. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And when you delve a little bit deeper, you know, this is kind of how I ended up being like, oh shit, it's Minecraft. Minecraft is the environmentalist game, which is a weird way, which is a weird thing to really like solidify on. But the more I've thought about it, the more I'm really like, yeah, like Minecraft is the one and, you know, surprisingly, Black Ops 3 
is is also way up there. Um, but you know, it just in terms of like storytelling in games, I think it's also a lot easier to tell a story about environmentalism um, or have environmentalist themes in your story as opposed to game mechanics, of course. Because um, like, how do you really um, in a game? Uh, that is even resource-based, like, how do you address the issue of scarcity um, when, you know, maybe it's a single-player game? Like, how do you address the issue of scarcity when um, you're playing a multiplayer game? Well, yeah, scarcity is about you get the resources, so that way you have the resources and your opponents don't. Which, I mean, yeah, maybe that is, like, a pretty environmentalist perspective of capitalism and geopolitics as well, but it's not quite as explicit, I would say. Yeah, and I, I think, like, you know, the one thing that I would say... To all of that, I, I think that's all really probably dead on. I, I, the thing about Firewatch, and I say this in part because I know that the that dev uh, amazingly uh, named Patrick Ewing, um, not that one, uh, the other one. <laughs> uh, oh, do you know anything about basketball? No, I'm I, I'm oh. from Canada. I'm a I'm a hockey guy, so well, uh, I, I just played there's chill. A, there's a. <laughs> There's a very famous basketball player named uh, Patrick Ewing. Um, but Patrick Ewing... <laughs> that went uh, right over my head. Yeah, boy. Um, but in any case, uh, but I, I mean, if it were... I'm, I'm just making sure, actually. Yeah, yeah, Patrick Ewing. Um, and in fact, it's funny because he's not... Uh, the Patrick Ewing, who was the uh, creative director of Firewatch, um, uh, doesn't have... isn't um, verified. And I think that's in part probably because the other Patrick Ewing was immediately verified. <laughs> um, it's like instantly verified. But uh, um, in any case, yeah, like, so I, he his next um, his next game is this game called uh, Neocab, um, which is, uh, I mean, I don't know if you would say it's about it's 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 about capitalism for sure. It's not about uh, climate change, although I guess it could be, but the 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 point of the game is so they describe it as an emotional survival game about gig labor, tech disruption, and the experience of being a driver for hire. Okay. Um, it, well, it's all about yeah, it's all about like <laughs> you basically are an Uber driver and you have to like make ends meet, and it's it's a little like cart life in that way. I'm sure uh, maybe a little bit like uh, Valhalla or VA Eleven. Yeah. Um, but like, or I'm sorry, Val. 11, uh, whatever it is, um, that cyber cyberpunk uh, uh, bartending game. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about uh, precarious labor. It's all about, you know, understanding how um, uh, labor and politics and identity and all that stuff, uh, and, and, you know, what your job is, whether it's precarious or not. It, he clearly gets that, right? Like, Oh, yeah. These are two games, and, and labor issues are kind of front and center in some ways in Firewatch in interesting ways. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would agree with you. Like, I think the burn, right. The burn of the, of the park is considered like extreme, but you know, by and large healthy. Like they, they say like, okay, the burn's going to happen. Like that's just, just the dry season. There's going to be some forest fires here. Yeah. Um, And I think in some ways that I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. I think in some ways that analysis, right, where it's like the narrative is about the personal experience of this guy in the tower and sort of like the connection over distance. Um, it's about this it's spoilers for Firewatch. It's about this tragedy, right, that 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 they uncover uh, that's initially sort of looks like a conspiracy. 
it all sort of is this, it's this very story-driven look that feels almost like a, I don't know, like almost like a funeral or a, or a, a eulogy for that vision of environmentalism, right? Where it's like, yeah. this outdoors is gone now, and here is our, in the same way that you'd say like, um, Stranger Things is a uh, is a eulogy for the the consumerist glee of the 1980s, right? Like you can't get that again. You can't get Firewatch again. You can't get uh, Stranger Things again. You can just kind of experience it vicariously. And in that way, it's like, of course, it's not activism because it's just like it's just remembering something. It would be like uh, it would be like those the the like a uh, oh boy, it would be like a, a monument to a tree after we kill them all, right? Like yeah. It doesn't do anything except make you think, which is fine, but it's not uh, political. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because, like, I mean, referencing... I, I hadn't thought of it like that, and I, I wish I did before I talked about the inadequacies of Firewatch's environmentalist <laughs> how, messaging. How dare you? Um, but, I mean, it's interesting, too, because, like, we were talking about Rachel Carson, and, like, back when, you know, environmentalism wasn't a leftist project. It was just sort of a thing that... Uh, a number of people across the political spectrum were trying to convince everyone else of. And mm-hmm. that, you know, that did die at, at a certain point. Like, I don't know, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of really smart people who have been able to kind of pinpoint when that happened. Um, you know, there was that article in the in New York Times uh, magazine, which is like the whole thing about like, okay, apparently the 1980s is when uh, the U.S. like just really f- fucked everything up, and that was like the turning point where they could have done something about it. Um, I think Naomi Klein wrote a really good takedown of that article. In that, you know, it, you know, I don't think that anything was going to be done in the 1980s. Really, like, I don't know if Republicans <laughs> in the 1980s really gave a shit. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not as if you're gonna what, Ronald Reagan's gonna. Ronald Reagan thought AIDS was a hoax. Yeah, and I mean... And <laughs> I don't we, know what you're going to tell. And we know yeah. for a fact that, like, oil companies were hiding science that they knew about from the 1960s, right? Like, mm-hmm. this was... Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't know if I want to say, like, oh, yeah, this is the decade where we could have done it, but we just, you know, screwed up. Um, but, you know, there there was a time where it's, you know, almost nostalgic. And I find, personally, in the work that I do, that is something I encounter quite often with... Uh, older folks like you know the kind of baby boomer generation where if if you encounter a baby boomer who's an environmentalist there's a really good chance that they are more left of center just because of they you know they vote for the parties that are left of center because the parties that are left of center just give a shit a bit more sure um and but there's still this sort of disbelief about um about convincing people right like in in the nonprofit world here in Canada, like there's a lot of grants, or there used to be a lot of grants before Doug Ford became our premier. But there used to be a lot of provincial grants about like how to so, convince. Sorry again about Doug Ford. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's gonna happen. Um, but I mean, like there used to be a lot of grants from the from the province for nonprofits, like the one I work for, which was about you know convincing homeowners to make retrofits to their homes and you know uh, doing outreach and education and things like that. Where if you talk to someone in the environmentalist movement who's under the age of 25, like I'm 27, like if you talk to someone who's under the age of 25, like they're more radical and more extreme than anyone I know who's over the age of 30 because they just they don't remember this time and they were never alive for this time where like there was like a chance you could convince someone of this. Right. Right. Well, I mean, even even people who were alive to watch um, An Inconvenient Truth. 
I mean, that is even that, like where people were like, wow, this is real. I think like the the turn from that to like someone at some point I remember saying like, oh, actually, the uh, the ozone layer fixed itself. Um, yeah. and obviously, that's ridiculous. But I remember believing it because I yeah. was young enough to believe it. I was like, oh, that's good. Guess yeah, we like, guess 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 we stopped using enough hairspray. That like we did it. Like we we really did it there. Well, <laughs> good thing we told all those elementary school kids to stop like spraying uh, paint cans just out in the air open for a bunch of hours to kill time. Yeah, um, but now I think... we've saved the environment, right? But like it's it's uh, if you were there for that, at least for me, like I was there for both of those things, and it's like yeah, those. That changed the world. Like those, that convinced people. People bought into that. People believed it. Yeah, um, and it's just interesting too because we we now have like an absolute understanding of the absolute horror that extractivist uh, policy does on our planet, and not just on our planet, but like also on people. Like not just the global south, but also just the global poor. Um, you know, if you think about, uh, I mean, well, the U.S. just brought back asbestos as, as something that they're allowing in buildings and stuff. Uh, and that's going to help the global poor? Yeah, but I mean, when you think about, who, okay, <laughs> who's kidding. who's going into the asbestos mines, Trevor? Like, who? You don't, you don't have to agree with me on that. That was a joke. <laughs> um, but I mean, when you think about that, like, it's it's sort of like this, it's like an acceptance of the horrors of what extractivist uh, policy has and the the right you know you know we think about the the alt right in terms of well, okay what are the geopolitical consequences of this um but i'm you know the alt right is also you know i'm reading this piece where it has like a a, a quote from jared taylor who is just like a absolute piece of shit um <laughs> and you know it's just sort of one of those things where it's you know the extractivist logic is, okay, we have to get ours, so then that way we have all the resources, so then that way we can thrive, and we don't have to worry about our country being ruined by all these brown and black bodies. Um, but it's also just, like, a real disconnect from nature in and of itself. Like, there, it's sort of like, going back to Minecraft... It's it's this looking at uh, the new biome that you discover and thinking like okay yeah like I can't wait to burn this shit down and just right. build, like just take everything from it and I I like I'm gonna do a great uh, segue that I think you're gonna like here is that this is really similar to the Dishonored games oh well oh, go on well because it's one of those things where I I was thinking about this independent from from you a while back mm. and. Uh, you, you have had Hazel on, and I think um, I, I I have to be completely honest. I haven't finished uh, it yet. Um, oh, Death of the Outsiders! Yeah, you I should definitely. I, I, I'm have, almost. I'm I'm getting there through it really slow. <laughs> you'll have something to say about the ending vis a vis environmentalism because they lean into the whales very hard at the end. Yeah, but the, the thing that occurred to me, and I haven't seen the ending yet, um, mm-hmm. is is that. Uh, there's a really good um, painting in one of the levels of, I want to say it's the first Dishonored, actually. So, like, this is a theme that was in the game the whole way, and it kind of became a little bit more uh, obvious later on, where in in and of itself, it's kind of interesting where you're like, okay, yeah, it's steampunk, but it's whale oil that we're using for everything. Yeah. And what what I remembered, um, and I, you know, I still have to finish Death of an Outsider, but, like, what I remembered was sort of this painting that was done of a, of a whale slaughter. And 
if I remember correctly, and I wish I like could go back into the game and find the specific like you know environmental set piece in one of the levels, is that it's sort of done in this old industrial style of like turn of the century like kind of glorifying industry, mm-hmm, where it's mm-hmm. just like you know the ideal of whaling as this is what provides for our society. You know, the whale oil, much like how uh, you know pipelines and uh, actual oil, uh, like like uh, like petroleum oil mines were d- uh, depicted back in the turn of the century in terms of the aesthetic, right? And the entire game of Dishonored is sort of just like premised onto this idea of, okay, we have an entire society that is kind of fucked up, like really, um, and not just because of you know weird cult magic that happens in it, but also just because like. You know, I think there's a certain level of knowledge when you acknowledge that everything in your daily life is a result of, like, slaughtering animals um, (laughs) in, like, the most brutal, terrible way imaginable, where it almost becomes, like, a parody of our current our current like energy system right like yeah it's it's really like i mean here in canada i want to say it's a little bit easier for environmentalism to take hold than it is in the u.s because we have the tar sands like you can see uh like huge open pit uh tailing ponds where all the toxic sludge is put into like all the uh completely unusable petroleum (laughs) stuff you know like but every once in a while like a couple hundred ducks will land in them and they'll die immediately and uh you know, we have entire indigenous populations poisoned forever because of these. And, you know, this is not unique to Canada, but in terms of, like, you can see it from space, right? Um, yeah. But also when you think about, like, okay, well, yeah, like, how can we depict uh, a semi-modern society that is even more horrific than our own? Um, you know, the, the obvious choice is, okay, yeah, like, let's take the majestic sea creatures of whales and just brutally slaughter them for their blood. <laughs> yeah, and then talk about how like how it's very good, like how, how like in fact this is this is the best possible way um, a society could work, right? Like it, it, the 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 proper, and I mean that's not the point of Dishonored. Obviously, Dishonored is sort of arguing against that, but like it does it in such a good way because like the the argument is always like oh this is really, really serious. Like, these people definitely believe it and they've thought it through. Like, the yeah. whale oil is something you use. It's all sorts. And, like, the the scrimshaw is something that the, like, the uh, whalebone is is what the um, sort of, like, witches and, and, and the uh, warlocks use. And it, it's, like, it's this, it's this ecosystem around whaling that, like, you instinctively in the game explicitly tells you is cruel. But it still, like, operates. And that, again, like, looks a lot like Minecraft, where you're like, oh, you know, this this arena I've been put in is so lush and I can, you know, do with it what I will. But it also is limited and it can stop. And I can, you know, never yeah. see another tree. Like, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a gut check moment. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because, like, a thought just occurred to me where I wonder if, like, in the Dishonored mythos, there's ever, like, an environmentalist who's saying, like, okay, guys, like, we gotta we gotta find a new source of energy. Uh, it's terrible what we're doing to the whales. And then you have, like, some douchebag in a top hat be like, uh, but you're still using a scrimshaw. Uh, <laughs> don't you know where scrimshaw comes from? Uh, the whaling industry? Like, checkmate. Um Stay, where like, get get Matt Boars to yeah to <laughs> yeah like get Matt Boars just like alter it to be about the Dishonored uh, universe, yeah. 
where you know I think I think in terms of how that universe depicted it, it's sort of you know talking about uh, the realistic depictions of um, climate change is is very apparent in Black Ops Three, um, but if you want to just like kind of more uh, abstractly think about extractivist logic and the horror that you're bringing about. Yeah, like, I mean, what what would be better than, okay, yeah, we get all of our energy from intelligent giant sea creatures, and we just brutally slaughter them, <laughs> and, then, right. and then use their bones for magic. Yeah, and the, the I won't spoil it, but the, the last set piece in um, in Death of the Outsider, and I won't, I won't tell you any more than this, but the, the last set piece is this, it's an amazing sort of, like, in and out of reality place and in the background are all these whales just flying and like singing um oh god is that the ghost is it the ghost of the whales that everyone's yeah, killed uh i i mean i'm not sure if they may ever make it explicit but it, oh okay I mean, yes probably um, okay well that's how i'm gonna interpret it and... i think that's the implication anyway yes it's it's really really cool like it's it's a very cool last scene and it's also just like it's such a sort of intense emotional ending, which I think you could imagine at this point. That's not a spoiler. Um, that yeah. like it is it it just kind of, and and since it's the end of the series too, it's such a a clear indication that yeah okay like this is the, these these whales are important like mm-hmm. <laughs> extremely important and 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 important just not in not in I mean I'm making an assumption here because I haven't finished it and I will like I promise I will. Um, in that it's important not just because of okay the the role that whales play but also just in the, the idea of the effect that you know the extractivism has had on them right like right yeah when you when you think about environmental racism and the effect that extractivism ha- has had you know not just in terms of uh, climate change like we've talked about that mostly but if you think about uh, where the precious metals in my computer come from that I, you know, play video games on or my PlayStation, which like it's just like horrifying to think of. Um, yeah, it it there is there is a victim to to the products that I own, um, and it's not just the environment; it's also humans. But like you know, when you really think about the the horrific measures we go through, that does permanent damage to where we live. Um, there, there's not a lot of video games that really have 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 caught, like really tackled it, but there are a few, and I think overall, like it's it's worthwhile looking at video games, looking at this art form, and really just kind of trying to reflect on, okay, well, what is this video game saying about environmentalism and our role in relation to the planet? Because we we talked about this last time. Where if you think about, I mean, I mean, obviously the precious metals and the materials that go into creation of like a video game console or a computer. Um, I mean, aside from that, like video games are a lower energy cost uh, art form in that Hmm. you have a lot of people working on them, which is, you know, fair. Like they're using up energy to make the video games and everything. But, you know, really like to make a video game, you don't have to fly anywhere. Like you can, um, but you don't have to fly an entire crew of people across the planet to New Zealand to to make your video game. Um, you don't have to. No, that's true. No, and, and and to enjoy your video game, and like this is becoming more true of TV and movies for sure. Um, you don't have to 
you don't like you don't have to spend a lot of carbon like a lot of like you don't have to have a ma- massive carbon footprint to enjoy a video game no matter what video game you're playing mm-hmm. um and when you think about the effect that like you know if someone was able to go carbon neutral in their home and they you know are a gamer um you know that i would say that's a good thing um and in terms of kind of like people who say like oh video games are a waste of time you know like it's a good way of experiencing some things that otherwise would be fairly carbon intensive um like uh an example i always use is like you know I, I don't own a car. I drive, though, and I do enjoy driving. Like, I, you know, there's a, a certain amount of pleasure from it. But, you know, deep down, like, I still enjoy driving around in Grand Theft Auto more because, for one thing, there's no consequences for my actions. <laughs> um, but also, it's just easier. Like, there's no uh, consequence outside of my video game instance of me uh, running my engine forever. Um and you know that's just kind of, like that for me personally. Uh, it scratches an itch, and you know when you look at the way virtual reality is going, and like I mean, I don't know, like uh, you'd have to have a pretty intense setup to be able to like really mimic driving a car for someone who really likes driving a car. Um, you know, there's still potential there where yeah, you know, if you look at the, I I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I can say it's extreme anymore, but if you look at the more uh, less popular ideas of how we should address climate change in terms of, okay, no, like we, no one can own a car, like no one can fly anywhere. Well, yeah, like maybe virtual reality is going to become this thing that becomes a lot more important for engaging in activities that we otherwise couldn't anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it. I think like that's a good way of thinking about it from the future or for the future. And then it's also like, I don't know, like there's, there's a good way of thinking about I, I still think it's like important to use these games as 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 ways of thinking about climate change because they are truly like the they're truly like the the best total simulation we have of yeah. like a, a world and they can provide a sort of like symbolic and incidental and mechanical I mean we've talked about all three in this show um way of understanding climate change that I think like ultimately is the is the hardest thing to get people to buy into which is that like it doesn't feel like it should be real and if you can yeah. get people to feel like it's it's real I mean that that's a huge deal yeah and like that's why I think almost when we're you know talking about the younger gamer generation like we we want to be seeing more video games kind of try to tackle this as much as we can because in terms of how we can possibly impact climate change and stop it or you know mitigate it enough or adapt for it um it's about creating more buy-in right and Mm. you know i think uh i i don't even know when black ops 3 came out but i you know i wasn't young like i wasn't a kid when it did um but when you think about that like i think about Okay, yeah, maybe there was a younger guy, you know, a younger kid, or maybe maybe a girl. Uh, you never know, but it's Call of Duty. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow, Call of Duty Black Ops 3 only came out in 2015. Holy shit. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. It's pretty like, recent. I mean, yeah, like, that's what happens when they release, like, three games a year, I guess. Um, like, here I am talking about it, like, oh, remember Call of Duty Black Ops 3? Um 
that game but, from three years ago. Okay, yeah, but I mean, if you think about someone who's in, who's 21 now, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and when Black Ops 3 first came out, like, maybe they hadn't thought about climate change in a serious way, and they hadn't been exposed to media that did a realistic depiction of it. Um, yeah. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of subversive, as long as they don't buy into the jingoistic uh, attitudes of that game. <laughs> and that's tricky, and that's a that's a big leap. But yeah, no, I mean, there's, there is some... There's something to be enjoyed there and something to be hopeful for there, at least in terms of, I don't know, uh, perception, if not, like, the material reality. But, like, you know, it's hard to find a thing... It's hard to find a way that we can actually impact material reality. It's much easier to sort of think about how to impact the way people think about the material reality. Yeah, and I think also, like, you know, it just makes my job easier if I'm talking to someone who's grown <laughs> up with media that reinforces that climate change is real, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. if, you know, I if I talk to someone who has never played video games, like, let's say they, they you know, I talk to someone who's played all the video games that we've talked about today, and I talk to a 40-something who, you know, thinks video gaming is for children, um... I mean, like, I mean, age aside, like, I know who I'm going to have an easier time talking with because it's going to be with someone who's thought about this issue, if not explicitly, um, but they've at least been trying to tackle it or, or at least been addressing ideas that are tackling it. And, yeah. you know, it's interesting to think about the way media can impact that, like, and make my job easier as an advocate in terms of, you know, trying to convince people to tell their, you know, local politician or whatever that they're doing terrible things um but it just makes it easier to talk about generally as well because for the longest time like talking about climate change was one of those things or even just environmentalism was seen like as kind of uncool yeah and and in a lot of ways it still is um and you know there, there's always like i always talk to someone who's around my, my my age or a little bit older about environmentalism they're like okay how can we get the kids on board you know <laughs> and I mean, for one thing, like I, I want to say the kids who are on board are definitely crazy on board right now. But like, how else yeah, do you get no. through to them other than making sure that popular media is depicting it and at least making them think about it relatively? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's right. Like, and that's that's the way that's the way that a lot of kids have gotten on board with a lot of seemingly far left or progressive things is that like they're given an opportunity to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think that's, I think that's right. Yeah. Well, Ian, do you, do you feel like there's anything we missed? Do you feel like there's anything you really wanted to touch on that we, that we haven't? I've, I feel like we've done two shows and it's a shame the first one isn't coming out, but I'm glad we did too. Cause I feel like I have learned more, even more this time around. Yeah. And I feel like, um, not spending like 20 minutes talking about Chell. Uh, no, wait, that's actually a negative. Don't make them. Don't make them. Mad no, but I, mean, I, I think I think angry. we really honed in on the more meatier substance here, and I think really what we've learned is that we should do a second episode all about chill. Okay, good. Um, well, let's uh, delete this episode, and then uh, we'll. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm saying have me on for a second time uh, so oh, I can talk yeah, about yeah, chill. No, we'll just talk about chill the whole time. That's great. Yeah, that's perfect. I agree. Um, I, I do want to say though before we wrap up, um, I've been a Patreon supporter of yours for a while, and mm -hmm. I do just want to encourage anyone. If anyone like w was listening to this episode and they were like, "Okay, yeah, Ian is the worst guest that has ever been on this show," but like I still like this. Um, <laughs> Trevor 
is an extremely patient host um, where I, through my my fault, I, I deleted an entire episode. Um, and, like, the work that you do, Trevor, is, I think, really valuable. And I think... Well, thank you. And, I mean, like, when I first found, found out about your podcast, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, like, this is what I want because I play video games and no one I know in my leftist circle does, too. Oh, yeah, no, um, it's, not, it's not popular. <laughs> no, it's not popular. But at the same time, I think... You know, like making video games be uh, something to talk about among the left, I think is really valuable. And I think uh, if anyone's listening to this podcast, like really consider it because like I've been supporting you for a while and it's just, you know, purely because I think you're doing a, a, a real service that I don't oh, think anyone you. else is filling in right now. And, and you know, not that, that not that if someone else did that that would be bad. But I think you're you've really set a good precedent for leftist critique of video games and. Um, I'm, you know, I'm really just super excited to continue to see you do the work that you do. Well, thanks. That that that's nice. I, that's that's really that's really thoughtful of you to say. I appreciate that. You and and Trevor didn't ask me to say that. So. I didn't. This is all a big surprise. I mean, I you know now I can go to bed and not have to worry about this for the rest of the night. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's uh, and 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 you know for for those of you who uh, want a a less sort of ultra, I I like Ian's reason better. Uh, because it, it it speaks to sort of my uh, my hopes for the show, and it makes me feel really good about it. Um, but also the the book club's back, so um, you know <laughs> that's another yeah. Like the, the book club, yeah, the book club is for lazy slobs like me who uh, didn't get banned from the Discord for uh, openly saying I dislike Hegel. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Um, who like you know like I I think for the longest time you know everyone's pretended they've read Capital at one time or another, and. I think the the book club is fantastic for people who want to continue to pretend that they've read Capital yeah, Parties. You, you can much more I, honestly, like just just a dollar a month, you can definitely more uh, forcibly pretend that you've read Capital. You can even say you can even talk about themes in it. Oh yeah, like you can bring up issues that I I I personally have never heard of before. And, you know, and I'm should, like, damn! Why didn't anyone tell me that Capital has this? I want to. I'm going to read this now eventually. We should do we should do a Patreon episode um, that we should also probably wrap up soon because people yeah. this is the most this is the most sort of like chatting at the end of the show I've ever done which I mean I am happy to do but who knows how people care about feel about it um, but we should do a Patreon episode where we talk about uh, Marx's concept of free inputs and eco Marxism because I think like especially reading more of Capital I am just like fascinated how much eco criticism is is there in the footnotes. Not that Marx does it, but that like there are moments where you're just like, oh, here's the place it's going to happen. Here's the place we can do it. Here's the place we can do that. And it's just it's kind of an amazing piece because it's written like on the precipice of it. And it really thinks that rivers are free inputs. Yeah. Even that like even that term free input has the dialectical concern of like, well, what if it isn't? (laughs) What if if they say it's not free anymore? Yeah. And I think uh, that I mean, that's the thing about Marx with with leftism more generally and, and, and more when you think about environmentalism and how that plays into leftism, like, uh, I, I think really the reason why environmentalism has found a place in, uh, the left so, so much more easily than the right is also like the environmentalism doesn't upend, uh, the values of, and the, the core points of Marx. Um, no, not at all. And, 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 and in a lot of ways, like goes along with it. But I think, uh, there's something to be said that like eco-socialism, Go, goes very easily um, with most 
conceptions of Marxism and socialism, I would say. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I think like, I think that's absolutely true. And actually let's definitely talk soon and we'll put that up as a Patreon because I want, I definitely want to have that conversation. Oh yeah, for sure. Cool. Nice. Well, all right, man. Well, uh, people can follow you, uh, at Ian Borsuk. Um, Ian C. Borsick. I got a Ian C. middle, wow, middle initial. Ian Borsick was taken, and I don't know who he is, but he's just he's he's the guy who tweeted, um, "I am Indian Hitler. I am I am Nazi." That's a, that's, <laughs> no, that's that's a different account. That's, oh, a, that's a classic. That's a classic one tweet account. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. The um, uh, so Ian C. Borsick, where else, what else can people find? Where, where else are you writing, doing things? Is there any, anything else you want to plug? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, if you, if you follow me on Twitter, that's where I'm most active, uh, unless everyone like actually leaves Twitter for Mastodon. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, and then, uh, I potentially in, in soon, uh, TM, uh, I have, uh, the second season of my podcast coming out with my buddy Jack. Um, that you've actually agreed to be a guest on at some I point. I have. I've committed. I will, I will be a guest uh, on your where show. Where if you want to hear uh, guys uh, drink beer and compare uh, like original movies and their terrible or even good remakes, uh, that's what the second season's going to be all about. And that'll be coming out soon, uh, TM, uh, from me. All right. We'll keep an eye out. And, uh, yeah, no, follow Ian. Uh, and definitely, you know, check out the Patreon. Check out the rest of the episodes. I think... Uh, I, I agree with Ian's pitch for me, and, and of course, again, uh, very much appreciate it. Yeah, um, I, w- I would hope you do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, let's talk soon. Yeah, for sure. All right. <laughs>